Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am your host, Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. Today's episode that we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing the vampire debates. Yes. One of my favorite genres of horror films. And mm-hmm. I think we'll have a fun time discussing about this. Yeah, so what we decided to do for this episode was Kyle and I each watched two different vampire-themed movies, and then we thought it would be fun to sit down and talk about what certain aspects of these movies that we liked about it, what we didn't like about it, and why each of us thinks it's a good, strong vampire movie. Exactly. And I was going to choose, uh, I was originally going to, I was originally thinking about choosing Bram Stoker's Dracula, but then again, I was thinking to myself, I want to have fun with this. And Plus, I, there's and, so many different renditions and, of Dracula. Yeah, there are so many and, renditions. You and know. each each one has like different central themes. And and so many people have played Dracula yeah. from Jack Palance to Christopher Lee to Bela Lugosi, the original Dracula, mm-hmm. and Gary Oldman, who is my favorite Dracula. Some people don't like Gary Oldman, but a lot of people do. I do. I, I as, appreci- as Dracula, yeah. not just in general. Not in his work, but just just him playing Dracula. I think Gary Oldman's a really good actor. I like him. He is fantastic. Yeah, I like him as an actor. Yeah, he played Sid Vicious and Sid and Nancy. I know. That's he played great. he played Jim Gordon in uh, all the Batman, not all the Batman movies. No, just like what the, three of them? The last. I don't even want to say the last three. I just but think the just Christopher the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Yeah, Let's he just did. Say that. He did three of those films. So I think before we jump into Colin's choice, let's just talk a bit about like what each of us like in vampire movies. I'm going to let you go first. I like that, you know, sure, the vampires can be vicious and stuff, but they can also lure you in with their charm, intelligence, and their sexual uh, mojo. And that's the thing. Sometimes you got to lure them in. You can't just lure them in all the time by just grabbing them and choking them and just wanting to kill them. No, you got to give them a little bit of a... A reason to be safe at first. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, go in for the kill. It, okay. Is that all you like about them? I like that they have that charm to them. And I think that's what, you know, like, I mean, sure, it's good to be animalistic and, like, you know, very brutal and stuff like that. But you also got to give them a little bit of a, you know, a psychological deal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what vampires like to do. They like to psychologically play with their victims at first. And then lure them in. And then drink their blood. Is that it? Yeah. Plus, not not only that, they sleep all day and they wake up all night and they party. And they do that forever. I would love to do that. I mean, you kind of do that already. But you, <laughs> but it's always, like, during the day, like, from evening, from, I guess, like, mid-morning to evening, you're up. You can stay up and push yourself a little bit further into the night, but then you eventually will crash. Yeah. So, there's that. So... Me personally, I don't like vampire movies. I it's always been that trope that I dislike about horror like some horror movies, and it's the fact that first and foremost these vampire creatures are what they are. They're creatures. They're monstrous creatures that were written and designed by John Polidori, I believe we mentioned when we talked about Mary Shelley mm-hmm. in a previous podcast episode. He was the godfather, grandfather of the vampire novel creator and he wrote these he wrote out the concept of vampires as being this blood-sucking creatures who like you said they use some sort of psychological mind power control Mm -hmm. to lure their victims to their deaths by draining all their blood and such you know that's how they feed that's how they live that's how they thrive and that's always been very off-putting for me because a 
for for one thing, there, it, the way you describe a vampire is the way you would normally describe a mosquito, almost. So, like, a humanoid mosquito is how I imagine vampires. And then you got to... Then you have people like, I want to say Bram Stoker was probably the first one to kind of, like, romanticize and give... The vampire genre, yes. Yeah, give these vampires, like, a more humanoid uh, perspective by humanizing them and, like, making them seem less than what they are, which is creatures of the night who are essentially monsters killing people. And it makes them less scary. Not as intimidating, in my eyes at least... Whereas, like, when you have people, or when you have characters like Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, these are all fictional characters that carry a lot of horror and fright to them based on their actions and what they're all about, which we know very little of. Yeah, it's true. So, with that being said, I don't like vampires because of these these whole, type like, concepts. And And then you have... Movies and television shows like Twilight and yes. Vampire Diaries and yeah, not every person likes Twilight, hun. There's a, and there's no, but like even Interview with a Vampire, which was released in the '90s, they romanticize and glamorize them to make them even less scarier and less frightening, which is very off-putting for me because it's like, why do you gotta make them look too fucking pretty? Like they don't need to look. I think Nosferatu definitely showcases what a vampire should have been. The true gritty ugliness. Yes. 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 I think in in that lighting, Nosferatu, in my eyes, is one of those vampire movies that is perfect. But it showcases what a vampire should be, which is frightening yes. and grotesque. But I think the thing with these vampires though too is that people think that they are glamorous and stuff like that. But you ever see where these people actually live? I mean, some of the places that these people live at, they don't always live in castles. A lot of these people sometimes live underground. And you ever see the underground of what it looks like or where they live at? It's disgusting. Well yeah, it's they filthy they, they and live dirty. some yeah. of them live in caves, underground. In ruins that were in like like, like um what's that other movie? The Descent? It's not a vampire movie, but when you have like these these creatures that feed off of flesh and bone and blood mm-hmm. living in these underground like caverns, this and, and and they look grotesque. I mean, I'm not saying these are vampires, but when you have these humanoid creatures that have been submerged up underground for many, 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 many years, yeah. they're not going to look pretty like Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in Interview with a Vampire. They're going to look very pale. To the point where their skin is translucent, they're going to look very bat-like and grotesque. Like I keep saying, that's how a vampire should look. And in my example of a good vampire movie, they need to act more ruthless than how they're perceived in the more popularized and glamorized versions of vampire movies. Films and movies, but that's the thing. What media does? Media sometimes takes the stories like these vampires and make I, them a little more. I get, I get that sex. I get that sex sells. Yeah, but it doesn't need to sell in a horror movie. It doesn't. I mean, I it mean, does. Like I said, it does in movies like Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, because event, shortly after the the act of having sex, one or both victims gets killed. So I understand that concept. And when you look at, like, movie posters and trailers, a good portion of the content in, in those tactics are used for 
you know, sex purposes. I don't know. I mean, I think vampires kind of deserve to have it's some some action also. If they want some tail, come get some tail, you know? I mean... I know, but believe, it's like... Believe it or not, these things used to be human. I know, but here's another thing, and I'm going to go into Dracula a little bit. But when you watch or read Dracula, any version, even Van Helsing, there's like one female victim that he desperately pursues. But then in the background, you have these three female vampires that are essentially his wives. His mistresses or whatever. It's like, what's the purpose of having these three if this is the one true love you're pining over? Which I still don't understand. And and another thing, it's, again, off-putting for me personally because it's like you're... Again, popularizing, glamorizing, romanticizing this playboy figure now you've created Mm -hmm. by adding all these side hoes into the mix, which I hate. So that being said, that's my overall conclusion of why I don't like vampires. I think in my conclusion is... I don't mind werewolves. I think werewolves are a lot hotter than vampires, which I know goes against what I was just talking about. Hypocrite. (laughs) No, but they are terrifying. They can be terrifying. And I think if we ever do another episode like this where we pick two different werewolf movies to discuss... This is what I was talking about, yeah. I'll I'll gladly defend that hill for werewolves. But didn't you say there's not that many werewolf films? In our last recording, yes. I, I mentioned that there was... There's really not a whole lot that I can pick from. There are a few that I like and I enjoy, but I'm probably not going to pick for that episode because it doesn't really go into depth, like, what werewolves are all about. It's not like vampires <sighs> where they just lay all their spiel out on the table for the viewers to understand. Werewolves kind of, kind of I guess, can be a little bit more complex, but... Well, they we'll, are, especially with their transformations. Well, But we'll get there when we get there. I don't want to go too far off topic with the whole vampire discussion to deviate and in going into like the next episode when we haven't even planned that out yet. <laughs> so with that being said, and with that being my conclusion to the whole vampire trope, I'm going to let Colin go ahead and start off with his vampire movie choice. I will start off with my vampire movie choice. It's called The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. It came out on July 31st, 1987. It has a running time of an hour and 38 minutes. It stars Keith Sutherland, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman, Jason Patrick, Jamie Gertz, Jameson Newlander, and Diane Weiss. So it's directed by Jew Schumacher. Joel. Um, Joel Schumacher, sorry. I'm still waking up, people. Don't mind me. And 91% of Google users like the movie. And let me see here. I'm sorry, folks. And it's also produced by Harvey Bernhard. The budget of the film was $8.5 million. And it was very successful, especially in the summer of 87. It's grossed up to $32.2 million. And it's actually spawned a couple sequels graphic comic novel series and also i heard they're going to be coming out with a cw version of the lost boys but instead of the frog brothers it's going to be the frog sisters which i'm not too sure uh, not too i don't know what to think of you're it. you're not too hopeful that it's going to be a success yeah it's, it's probably going to be yeah. like every other cw show they've had you yeah. know of drama shows of like of great things that have come out of you know of our popular culture Mm-hmm. And just ruined it thanks to CW. Thank you, CW. So, the story is teenage brothers Michael, played by Jason Patrick, and Sam, played by Corey Haim, move with their mother, Diane Weiss, to a small town in Northern California called Santa Carla. While the younger Sam meets a pair of kindred spirits and geeky comic book nerds, 
Edward, played by Corey Feldman, and Alan, played by Jameson New Newlander. The angst-ridden Michael soon falls for Star, played by Jamie Gertz, who turned out to be enthralled of To David, played by Keith Sutherland, leader of a local gang of vampires. Sam and his new friends must save Michael and Star from the undead. So, seeing this film when I was 13 years old, I I mean, I've seen it everywhere in the, in the video stores. I've seen it every time I walk through the horror section. And it always looks interesting to me. You know, because the cover and stuff, because it was all black. And one of the one of the um, covers I saw was this all black cover, which just says The Lost Boys. But then I saw the famous movie poster cover that has all the kids on it. And I thought it would be in- interesting to check it out, finally. So I brought it home, watched it. I thought it was very entertaining growing up. I thought it was fun, exciting, funny, intense. has a few kills in it. And has a really interesting story between the brothers and going off in their separate ways and finding different things in Santa Carla. One finds the Frog Brothers and the other one finds this uh, crazy mischief group of vampires that have been around for quite a while. It don't look like they've been around for hundreds of years, though. Mm-hmm. So, But I think it's a fun film, and I I love it. And it's always been one of my favorite films to watch. I mean... It's a mix of horror and comedy, and it's it's come out of those films in the 80s when, in the mid-80s, they were starting to come out with teen, where, uh, teen vampire comedies. Because I think with Teen Wolf, they were trying to compete with that. So that's why they've come out with movies such as um, Fright Night, Vamp. Vamp is more of a college kid's film. Uh, My Best Friend's a Vampire. And then the most su- successful one is The Lost Boys. And this movie has some of the best quotes you know, that you can think of. Like, like people still talk about the quotes in the film to this day. And not only that, I think this film has a great soundtrack. Uh, a mixture of original songs and cover songs that were played by some of the big bands at the time. My favorite, I think, uh, cover song-wise, is by Echo and the Bunnymen, who covered The Doors, People Are Strange. And I thought his version of it was great. And he still had a great voice that kind of up to par in the song with Jim Morrison. Which I was kind of shocked. And, yeah, I mean... Did you mention what it is about it that you think makes it a good vampire film? What concepts of vampirism, I should say, in your opinion, make it a good vampire movie? I think think with these kids, that with them, they don't ever have to grow old. And that's the thing with vampires, is that, you know, you live forever, you never really look old, you never grow old. Mm-hmm. And with especially with youth and stuff like these kids, they can live forever. They can do whatever they want every day for the rest of their lives and be as vampires. And I think that's the fun thing that we all look at too. Like there are there are both sides of being immortal, you know. And the sad part about being immortal that they never mention in the film is that a lot of your loved ones and stuff who are not immortal, they all die after you. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, this movie has to deal with living forever, being immortal, and that these kids, they can, ne- they can never grow old, and they can never die, and, like, that's the same thing with vampires, is that... That's one of the common aspects of vampire lore, is that when you're a vampire, you never age, you never grow old, and it's nearly impossible to be killed. So these kids might as well have fun of being immortal forever. Yeah, and then there are, of course, there are tons of different 
ways you can reverse the effects of vampirism. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, the, the reversal process is find the head vampire, kill the head vampire, and every descendant after that head vampire turns back to human. Because they were all half vampire. So, because they Well, some of them were. Yeah, they were... Some of them yeah, aren't. Yeah, some of them were half vampire, like Star and Michael. They mm -hmm. were... And, and also Laddie, the, the little brother to uh, Star. And they were all half vampires. So, literally, if they can kill the head vampire, then everything could be back to normal and they don't have to be vampires anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also the common thing with vampire lore also, is that that happens as well. Is that, like, Dracula, for example, when he um, bites Mina, and she's only a half vampire, but she's not full yet. Once once uh, the guy actually kills Dracula, or whoever kills Dracula, um, she goes back being normal. So it's kind of like that same concept of immortality and also trying to kill the head vampire in order for your loved ones to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the same thing in stories of, you know, vampires. Is that all you have to say about the movie or um, is there anything else you wanted to go into? Oh, yes. Also, with the name The Lost Boys, the director who was originally supposed to direct the film was Richard Donner. And he was coming off the success of The Goonies. And they were asking him if he wanted to direct this film, The Lost Boys. And he saw the name, and he felt like the name itself was... Well, it's definitely a reference to the story of Peter Pan and the children. Where they live in a faraway place, and they never have to grow old or anything. They all stay children forever. So he was kind of trying to look at for that, for that concept and mix with the vampire lore. So they would all be young children, and they would all be vampires... But Richard Donner had other uh, things he had to do, other movies he had to make. So Joel Schumacher came in and saw it and thought, look, this is a great story and everything, but I think we can modernize this and make it a little more sexier and a little more exciting. So that's why he changed the kids' ages from 13 all the way to almost being like 18 and stuff like that. Okay. So, yes. And last words I have to say is it's a wonderful movie. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it and... Just see what you think of it. It's a classic to me. I think it is. Okay. I'm going to give my overall review. As somebody who doesn't really appreciate Lost Boys as a whole, I'm just going to give my two cents before I go into my movie. And then I'll let Colin do the same thing with my option. But what I didn't like about Lost Boys is that we've covered Lost Boys in previous episodes. We talked about plot holes. We talked about vampire tropes i believe in earlier episodes we talked about what i also didn't like about vampires but what i don't like a lot about lost boys is that like i had mentioned vampires have become romanticized and humanized which i hate but i feel like given the era in which this film was produced and released it's during the time when the whole bad boy persona was a passing fad or a phase where a lot of people were romanticizing and glamorizing and we we do see this also in other movies where like some girls and some movies fall for the bad boy who has this troubled past or troubled side to them and it's like we get it move on like it's getting overplayed to the point now where i'm starting to hate it i it's one of the things i don't like about this movie because it's it's essentially a group of vampire bikers who are luring this new kid to join their group and they're using not only their mind control powers to 
lure him and entice him to be in this group, but they're using Star, who in one way or another is a, uh, I don't want to, I don't really, I really don't want to be that bitch, but I think in a way they were using her as a sexual tool to lure Michael even more into this situation. You're not wrong. Which, which I hate even more because... I'm not calling myself a feminist, but I hate it personally when women are, in one way or another, being overly sexualized to for, for some gain in one way or another. And it's one of those concepts I don't like about this movie. And then when we were talking about plot holes in our previous episodes, I don't understand where the Frog Brothers call themselves vampire hunters or expert vampire hunters when their whole concept and knowledge and understanding of what vampires are and how to defeat them are based off of comic, comic books book. and TV shows. Mm. And then when you get right down to it, to them going to the lair and fighting them off, they act like it's their first fucking time fighting them. And to the point where they almost get overpowered by one of these fuckers. They almost got killed. Exactly. It's like, okay, you cannot in any way, shape, or form call yourself an expert if you have never fought one before. And you're acting like this is your very first time fighting one. What? But but you got to admit that there is one true hero out of this that helps stop them. And mm-hmm. he was a true hero. Nanook, the dog. He was badass, and he helped not only Sam out from being attacked by his own brother, but also the Frog Brothers when he jumped one of the vampires, pushed him into the tub of garlic and holy water, and killed him. And that's another thing, too. It's like, if if a dog gets the best of you out of a situation, and even is so badass, and when the dog steals your thunder in vampire hunting and killing over two 13-year-old boys who are self-proclaimed vampire hunting experts. It's like, come on. Get get your head out of your ass. Get the fuck over yourself. And just call yourselves for what you are, which is fucking amateurs. Uh, that was great. <laughs> I, I hate that. this movie with a passion. And then the ending just fucking slays me. And we talked about this in... This is our second recording. In our last recording, Colin mentions that at the end... Spoiler alert. The grandpa drives the car through the fucking house, kills the head vampire, and then makes a quote at the end about one thing he didn't like about this fucking town or all the goddamn vampires, and reveals the fact that he knew all along that that vampires existed. And I'm like, are you fucking shitting me? What was the whole point of this movie then? Seriously. What was the whole fucking point of this movie? That, that whole line, that whole scene could have been taken right out the fucking window, in my opinion. Maybe. Because what, what that just tells me is that if that grandpa had known the entire time that vampires were living in his town, where his family was coming to move in and stay with him, if he had warned them ahead of time, like, don't hang out with these kids because they're not good people and they're vampires, this whole movie would have never been a thing. Well, you know the crazy part is, is that... During the film, sure, they've talked to him for like one or two minutes during the whole entire film, but they never really approach or even talk to him at all. Yeah, Grandpa doesn't even make a forefront appearance until like the fucking ending. Well, he makes a few appearances here and there, especially when he's going to the Widow Johnson's house to uh, fix her pipes or whatever what he was doing over there. I fucking hate this movie so goddamn much. Or when he's in the beginning of the film telling the kids to stay away out of his den and get away from his root beer and Oreos in his fridge. Which, by the way, who puts Oreos in a fridge? You don't put Oreos in a fridge. I hate it so much. 
And also, <laughs> also, do you know the thing that pissed me off about the grandfather? What? They said he has no TV in the house. There's no TV at all. But yet, he has the TV guide. And Corey Haim's character said, wait, Grandpa, you have a TV in there? And he's like, no, I just like to look at the TV guide. You don't need the TV. Wait, if you have the TV guide, you don't need the TV. I'm like, what the fuck is that? I hate this movie. <laughs> you guys, I you have no un- idea how much I hate this fucking movie. Oh, calm down, sweetie. Is that in your top five things that you hate? There's a lot of things that I hate. This this is probably this movie is in the top five things that I hate in my life. I really cannot stand <sighs> Lost Boys. God. God, Aaliyah, cry. I don't care. Cry, little sister. Thank you for reminding me. That (laughs) fucking soundtrack is so (laughs) off-putting. You have no fucking idea how much I hate that song. First of all, I can do without the male singer centrally singing some sort of random lyrics about whatever the fuck he's singing about. Because I don't listen to the lyrics half the time. And then you got to make it even more fucking off-putting by putting in a children's choir in there singing the Ten Commandments. It's like, get the fuck out of here (laughs) with your religious hypocrisies and fuck off. I think that truck was giving you like the yeah you're like like they're they're yeah, you go girl <laughs> no they're like okay you're getting overheated you need to cool off yeah like, you need to cool off but anyway uh but but listen whenever I hear that song it makes me think of going to Vertex it's like you go to the gothic clubs and you hear that song in there and it's funny I actually did that one time I actually uh, played it because it was 80s night at Vertex and I played Cry Little Sister and everyone was like happening and dancing because all like the upbeat songs and then that song comes on and everyone just like calms down and just like kind of like erotically starts dancing and one of my one of my friends was like nice going Colin you ruined the mood <laughs> fucking hate that song but it's a definitely type of the goth gothic type of vibe you hear in the club you know it's that type of song that you hear i hate it oh my god would you calm down my god these little lines (laughs) i know we're looking at the lines of the recording and it like when i yell the lines go up Mm -hmm. so should i move on to my now or now let's us go to the next movie that alia has come up with and she's going to talk about hers my favorite vampire movie that I chose for this podcast episode is 30 Days of Night. It's directed by David Slade. has a runtime of 1 hour and 55 minutes. It was released on October 19th in 2007. It has a 6.6 out of 10 rating on IMDb. And also, like The Lost Boys, 91% of Google users like this movie. And the synopsis or the gist of the movie is, in the far northern hemisphere... The small town of Barrow, Alaska, experienced a solid month of darkness mm. every year. Though most of the residents head south for the winter, some townspeople remain behind. However, those that stay regret their decision when, one year, hungry vampires descend on Barrow to feed. It stars Melissa George, Josh Hartnett, who was, I guess, a veteran of horror films, mm. Danny Houston, who I guess is also another one. I like Danny Houston's performance in American Horror Story Coven Season, which I'll get into in another episode in the future. Ben Foster and Mark Boone Jr., who was in Sons of Anarchy, which is another show I absolutely love. And I think it overall, in contrast to The Lost Boys, is a completely different vampire movie that knocks out 
all the fucking tropes, like I mentioned earlier, it doesn't romanticize, it doesn't glamorize, and it doesn't mm. sexualize these creatures. They are merciless, they are ruthless, they are savagely, brutally killing these people. And they're very, very cunning in how they kill these people. And I like this movie so much because it actually takes a real-life scientific phenomenon, which is in the north and southern poles, like in those arctic circles in the north and south of the globe, Mm -hmm. each pole experiences 30 days of darkness and 30 days of light. Yes. And I like that it takes that concept, this real-life phenomenon, and applies it to the, the vampire trope or theme that they cannot live within the sunlight, otherwise they'll burn up and they'll die. I like that concept because it makes it even more terrifying. It makes it a more terrifying situation because (sighs) when you watch this movie, there's nowhere for them to hide. And when they do hide, they have to be quiet, otherwise the vampires will hear them. They have to refrain from leaving their hiding spots, otherwise the vampires are going to swarm and kill you and it's a clever concept i love it so much and the way they designed these vampires to look are not at all sexy not at all which i think is even more awesome because they almost look shark-like in their appearances their facial facial features are very angular and sharp they have really total blackened eyes like their whole eyes are blackened out And they have razor-sharp teeth. Some have multiple rows of razor-sharp teeth, Mm. which is even more shark-like, which I love so much. And it's just overall a really good concept. And it throws in a couple of Dracula references. Like, one of the characters calls them, like, Bella Lugosi's, like, how do we we prevent these Bella Lugosi's from finding us and such... And another concept they threw in this movie is the character, The the Stranger, who's played by Ben Foster. He's this guy who, before the the darkness settles on the town, he shows up and he starts doing things to kind of prepare the vampires approaching. So this is a little little fun fact I found on IMDb, but one theory holds that the character referred to as, quote, The Stranger is a nod to the character R.M. Renfield and the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker. Parallels include both were approached by the vampire before the main characters, both had a hunger for blood, Renfield for bugs and birds, and the stranger for raw meat. Both were locked away for the safety of others, both expected to be rewarded for their, quote, assistance to the vampire, and both were ultimately attacked by the vampire. And another fun fact, this kind of like goes with this fact, but psychologists today refer to patients who have a vampiric hunger for blood as suffering from, quote, Renfield syndrome. Really, really like that. I like that whole concept as a whole. I think it's very, very clever. I love this movie. In my eyes, it's the perfect vampire movie because it really shows, again, how ruthless and scary these creatures can be. Because, as I mentioned, like I said, they're smart. Like, in a couple of instances, they use certain tactics to try to lure people out of their hiding spots to Mm -hmm. attack them. Like, they'll send... They left... Out of all the townspeople who they've already slaughtered, 
they send one teenage girl walking through the town calling out for help to try to lure people out of their hiding spots while hiding up on top of the roofs of the houses as they follow her mm-hmm. to see if people are going to come out. And yeah, I think that's very, very cool. And then another thing that they do, well, I don't think they do, but the head vampire, Danny Houston's character, he's very smart too. And he knows that right now we already have a good solid number, of probably about 10 or 15 vampires as a group. True. And this is a small town community. Some of the residents have already left the town mm-hmm. to avoid the 30 days of darkness for one reason or another. So they know that they're... Their feeding supply is already limited. Mm-hmm. He's like, the last thing we need are more members. Yeah. Or else they're going to really run out. The, yeah. Their supply is really going to run out. Mm-hmm. So he tells them, when you feed and you kill, decapitate the heads. Mm-hmm. We do not need to keep turning more people into one of us because we're already at capacity, I guess, is a lack of a better term in their group. So... Some of these people do turn into vampires, and it's a very, very fast process. Super fast. Way too fast. Way too fast. Like, within minutes, they are turned. Yeah, because sometimes when I've seen vampire films, sometimes it takes for them forever to change into one. Yes, and when this happens, what they experience is a great thirst for blood. Again, their eyes get completely blackened out, and their teeth start to get sharp. I just like that Josh Hartnett's character that he wasn't thinking all about that when he turned into one. He was more thinking about kicking the guy's ass and using that vampire strength to destroy him. Yeah, on their very last night of the 30 Days of Darkness, he, and this is another tactic that they use to lure them out, but when it comes down to the last five surviving members of this town, Eben and the others are hiding in this hangar utility building with a generator and everything. And Stella and this little girl are hiding underneath one of the houses. Because this is Alaska where snow is just everywhere. Mm -hmm. You can't really, when you develop a house, you can't really have a basement. Yeah. So a lot of these houses and developments are essentially cabins built on top of these, like, structures. Mm -hmm. So there's space underneath the house, like the cabins, that you can crawl under and hide. Yeah. This is where she and this little girl, I think her name is Gail, are hiding underneath. Hmm. And they can't move because if they try to escape, the vampires will see and hear them and they'll get attacked. So what they decide to do is fill the streets with oil and set the town on fire. Hmm. This will start to force people, whoever are hiding in the houses, to walk out of the structures and expose themselves on the open for the vampires to feed. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So this is when Eben decides Stella's trapped no matter what. I gotta stop them, but I can't as a human. So I'm gonna inject myself with vampire blood from the dead body of one of their friends and turn to a vampire. There's this huge epic battle that occurs at the end between Danny Houston and Josh Hartnett's characters. And it ultimately ends with Eben, who's played by Josh Hartnett, gets the upper hand and kills the head vampire. Mm-hmm. And then... As a result, it causes the other vampires to flee because now they no longer have a leader to tell them where to go, so they just leave. Oh, okay. And then Eben, now a full vampire, is deciding, do I go after them or do I stay Hmm. with Stella? But he's a vampire now. So once daylight comes and dawn approaches, 
he burns up and he dies. And it's a very beautiful way of them dying too, because yeah, especially when he screams. Well, not when they scream, well, but he, hang he, on. he does. I pretty interesting ending of a character, but that's gotta hurt too when that sun comes up and it hits you. The way I best describe their death when they're burned up by the sun, their flesh chars quickly. Imagine this if you can or will. Imagine somebody smoking a cigarette and you're watching the end of that cigarette burn. So at first the paper is white and you see like yeah. you could see the leaves of the nicotine and then or it's tobacco. Dissolving, yeah. You could see the tobacco leaves fully intact. Once that flame ignites and starts burning the paper and the leaves, they start out as like orange and red from the burning mm -hmm. and then once it passes through the ash or residue goes from orange to brown to black to gray that's just how i imagine these creatures burning up from the sunlight yeah i can see that it's very clever it's very beautiful in my eyes and i think it's just awesome but mm -hmm. yeah what about you what are your thoughts well i'm not gonna shit on this movie because i mean i don't know i mean it's, it's a good movie but it's not my favorite you know, it's not up there in my top favorite vampire films, but it is entertaining to watch, and the stories of it is interesting, too. Mm -hmm. And the fighting sequences uh, between Josh Hartnett and the, and the guy in the end of the movie is great. Mm -hmm. But it's not my favorite film. And I plus, I've seen very gritty films that deal with vampires, like... Uh, for example, Subspecies is very not romantic at all. That movie mm. is fucked up. So many killings and so many gr nasty things happen in that film. And mm -hmm. where he lives at is definitely a giant, like, uh, he lives in a castle, but everything in that castle is just sand and dirt and just cobwebs and just everything that's disgusting. It's not even elaborate at all. And yeah, nothing's like polished or yeah, nothing. Yeah, he's just a, like immaculately clean. Yeah, and the, yeah. and even the vampire looks incredibly deformed looking. And then another film and mm. that is dirty and gritty as well is a movie called uh, Near Dark. And I don't know if most of you have seen the film, but it's more of a uh, out in the desert western type of. Uh, a vampire film where a lot of these vampires in there are a lot more grittier looking and ugly and you mean like from dust till dawn yeah kind of like that type of thing still yeah in in, in comparison to lost boys they're almost kind of similar though yeah uh, but they're more dirty like they they don't even take showers they don't even look like they take showers at all bill paxton his whole face and everything is all bloody in the entire time that you watch the film. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that's more of a grittier, dirtier film of the vampire genre as well. But I will say that I do like 30 Days of Night, but it's not my favorite film. That's all I gotta say. If you had to say one bad thing about it, though, um, like what like what did you not like about it? I don't know. I think it was just the... Just the dialogue and the story itself, especially with the, um, with the couple. Like... Why the hell, what the hell happened to the relationship, honestly? Like, you know, like everyone, and everyone in the town is all about their relationship. It's just like, leave these people alone. Like, it's a fuck. small town community, you know, like, yeah, like every they, everybody's in each other's business. Everybody wants to know what's going on. Well, everybody need, knows yeah. everybody there. Well, they need to get the fuck out of that business because there's far more things that they need to worry about in their town than someone's relationship. <clears throat> True. So... That's why. It's just like the story and the dialogue itself wasn't a big fan. I mean, it seemed kind of boring. But. Again, true. I mean, I do think there are things about the storyline that could have been left out. Like the whole thing between Stella and Evan's relationship. Like, yeah. 
everybody didn't need to know their business. It didn't need to be something that needed to be brought up. But when as this as the movie goes on and as the situation becomes more and more of a threat to the people's lives and everything, Stella and Evan start to kind of reconcile a bit. They start to apologize for either their mistakes in the relationship or their opinions and everything because it as you come to find out more and more as the movie goes on you start to realize that Stella and Evan are technically still married they're separated but Stella wanted children and Evan didn't and she left because of that reason essentially that's what I could have gathered from the whole movie yeah but I think overall as a vampire movie, it's horrifying. Again, it's got a good concept, and I love it. It's one of my favorites. I think the killings in the film I do like. That's like one of the one of the main things that I did like about the film. Yeah. What was... In our last recording, there was one thing I did say that I liked about Lost Boys. you remember what it was? Because I don't. Did, what did you say? I'm trying to remember, because you did say you liked one thing about Oh, the makeup. It. Oh, the, the makeup. makeup. I think the makeup and the special effects for me was good. In the film. It reminds me a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer vampire makeup. And actually, you know what's funny? I looked it up too. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was inspired by the Lost Boys. Especially in the, a lot well, of the concept know, and the makeup. You want to know what's funny for me? I never watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The, I never watched the movie and I never watched the show. I have. You know what show I did watch? Angel. Charmed. Oh. I didn't even watch Charmed. I watched <laughs> Angel. Angel? You liked Angel? Angel was the spin-off series from, from Buffy. Char- oh, from Buffy, yeah. Yeah, from Buffy. And yeah. it had um David What's D- his name? David Hasselhoff? No, David Duchovny. You know who I'm talking about. Tell me the name. Please. I don't know. He's from Bones, that's all I remember. Hang on. Yeah, he plays the cop in Bones. <laughs> this guy right here. Yeah. Read it for me. Uh David Bur um uh, David Borinaz. Borinaz? Uh, yeah, Borinaz. David Borinaz? Borinaz. Borinaz. Yeah, he played an angel in the Buffy series. I and thought he was angel. a vampire in it, but he wasn't. He is a vampire. But he's a vampire angel? No. His name is Angel. Mm-hmm. He's a vampire with a soul, apparently, because <laughs> in the Buffy universe, once you become a vampire, you no longer have a soul. So, yeah, it's just a whole thing. And I liked it. I thought it was a good show. It was very funny. Good. A good show. I liked it. But that, the the makeup development for the vampire faces in the Buffy and the Angel show remind me of Lost Boys. Well, yeah. Though well, they were inspired by the by the film, by the makeup, by the story of it and everything. So they wanted mm-hmm. to come out with a female version of a vampire slayer. Yeah. So, yeah. So she definitely topped the Frog Brothers, that's for sure. She's actually... Oh, yeah, for my, sure. She's my favorite Slayer. And I feel like, if anything, she'd probably kick those two's asses and teach them a thing or two. I mean, I will hype up Buffy, even though I never watched, again, the movie or the TV series. I do like the concept of a female vampire Slayer who knows what she's fucking doing all the time, as opposed to two fucking 13-year-old boys who don't know what they're doing. And, yeah, that's that's my final <laughs> thought on fo- Lost Boys, finally. Well, I, I already finished my final thought like 10 minutes ago on 30 Days of Night. So <laughs> I think we're actually good on the show today. All right. I mean, anything else you want to talk about vampires before we get off this topic? Not exactly, other than I always, growing up, I always wanted to be a vampire. And I just feel like the immortality of it would be great, too. But the con... 
of being a vampire is really sad, especially when a lot of your friends and family are gone after you're still immortal. And it's just like, where do you go from there? So I think for me, in my Did positive it? way of thinking, I would travel. I would travel as a vampire. So this just that just reminded me of something, too, because we, we're from Rochester, New York, and like most places in the world... Each community has their own group of musicians and artists and bands and stuff. We have some friends from a band called Attic 39 who wrote a song with that concept in mind. What's it called again? I feel like if Steven hears me right now, he'll probably be ashamed that I don't know the name of it. (laughs) Yeah, Changing Back. That's what it's called. See? I got it. I knew it. (laughs) Ha ha. Sorry. Yeah, I was about to say. Sorry that... That went off topic way too quickly. I really but anyway. Did. Yes, it did. Incredibly. But no, I recommend checking it out. Because like I said, it's a pretty song. It's kind of related to the whole vampire thing. And yeah, I like it. That's one thing I can. I guess I can talk a little about vampires before we close out the episode. Yeah. So other than that. Yep. So if you want to find us on social media, check us out on under the Abby Normal Podcast username on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We still have our Patreon. If you guys want to go check that out, I am working very hard to get enough money together for merch. So if you guys want to go join our Patreon and you want to give us some money so we can make merch. Yes, because that will definitely go into the merch fund for this podcast and. Like I said, once we get merch together, we'll do stickers, posters, t-shirts, maybe some hoodies or hats. Yeah. Those will definitely go to you guys we'll, in the Patreon department. We'll do some underwear also. For the meantime, the only thing we can offer right now is shout-outs and future episodes. Yep, and our love to you. And our love to you, our undying gratitude of love and appreciation for you guys. And we really appreciate a lot of you guys still listening to us, definitely. Yeah. Especially no matter how much we try to make new shows because we've been busy with work, but we're always coming back here to come up with stuff to talk about with you guys and we appreciate it yeah and if and if you can't afford the patreon that's fine there there are other other ways you can show appreciation is if you listen to us through apple Podcasts, you can drop us a nice review or rating Mm -hmm. on our account it'll help us out really well exactly you can subscribe to us our channel through other platforms because i know we're right now we're still on spotify apple Podcasts. we're on podcast attic overcast we're still i mean we're on anchor here we are now on verbal v-u-r-b-l is how it's spelled it's a new way of listening to not just podcasts but other audio recorded content so we have asmr recordings we mm-hmm. have audiobooks we have lectures and speeches that you can listen to yeah a bunch of good stuff guided meditation everything that you can think of we are on a new network called my brass radio network mm-hmm. it is locally stationed in, here in rochester new york it's got tons of other artists and podcasters from the local Rochester area, so definitely give those a try and listen to. And they'll have all of our episodes on there, even our older ones, too. Yeah, and then check out some of the other artists there. Like I said, locally stationed, locally owned, local other podcasters and musicians and artists from Rochester you guys can check out. All right, and with that note, we would like to close out on today's episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we all hope you have a good day. And Mm -hmm. this is me, I'm Colin Bourne. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, death by stereo.